welcome to the Ransomware Battleground, where we dive into the world of cybersecurity and hear firsthand from those that are deep in the fight to protect your data and peace of mind. Think your network is secure? Let's check out how secure you really are with this week's chat, SolarWinds Attack, Digging Deeper with MITRE Attack. I'm joined today with Paul Fredrickson, cybersecurity consultant, most recently with Dell, and Adam Pennington, MITRE Attack Lead. I'm your host and moderator, Sia Yasotornrat. Before we get started, I've got to give a shout out to our sponsor, AirGap, the best defense against ransomware. With a zero trust isolation platform, AirGap confines ransomware to a single device. Put an end to threat propagation and protect your infrastructure in minutes, not months. And now, let's enter the battleground. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ransomware Battleground. I am Sia Yasotornrat, the ever-so-humble and very quiet flower host. Today, let's just say I got feedback from everyone. Um, apparently, I'm not going deep enough into the solar winds attack. So we're going to try again. But this time, I brought some big guns to help me out to explain a little bit more about what the solar winds thing is. Not the buzzwords. We're going deep into it. And I'd like to welcome a really good friend of mine, Mr. Paul Fredrickson. He is the cybersecurity consultant extraordinaire. Paul, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. And you're going to make me actually sound knowledgeable. So really appreciate you joining me and helping me out here. And also, we're going to be welcoming a very wise individual who also happens to have a sound engineering background. So I'm like totally stoked to talk to you. Mr. Adam Pennington. He is the attack lead over at MITRE. Adam, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me here today. Okay, guys. Look, I've said it preemptively in our uh, prep call I'm going to lean very heavily on you because, like I said, I got feedback that I'm just not going deep into the SolarWinds activity. So are you guys ready to uh, dig deeper and have some what I affectionately call propeller talk? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Let's, let's do this. Okay. So, Adam, we know that the enterprise has been compromised with SolarWinds. They went through the Orion platform, the network management uh, system, and it, it could have been potentially they were in there a lot longer than we thought. Can you tell me from just real quick of what you know right now, what you guys are seeing? Because right now I feel like the, the press releases out there are kind of all over the place and making accusations. So from your perspective, where are we at that you're comfortable and confident in saying we're, we're looking at solar winds? So I, I think we, we now know um, a bunch of pieces of, how some specific intrusions started. So we've been watching very carefully a lot of the industry reporting coming specifically out of the incident response, some of the passive DNS analysis and malware analysis that's been happening around this. And so there are big gaps in uh, what we don't know right now. So, you know, we don't know things like how SolarWinds was broken into. We don't know, you know, what, what if anything was stolen. We don't know what the adversaries looked like over the full course of their lifetime. We, we've just got some pieces of how this, it started, but we do have some really interesting information at this point. So CrowdStrike and SolarWinds both put out reporting earlier this week, talking now about how they got into Orion in the first place. And it's, it's honestly really interesting, uh, especially compared with past supply chain injection attacks. This, this was uh, a lot further, a lot more advanced than a lot of what we've seen before. 
they were actually watching for the, uh, they had software watching for the build process to start. They were swapping in malicious code for a very brief period of time to be compiled as a part of this. And it ended up as a part of a legitimate project instead of you know, grabbing a binary off the site, adding stuff to it. And so a lot of the mechanisms that we're used to doing for watching for supply chain issues, checking hashes, checking digital signatures, just wouldn't have applied here. That you know, the, uh, the techniques they were doing were, were sort of beyond our existing mechanisms. Uh, we know some of what they did downstream uh, in terms of uh, getting into a lot of trust relationships, uh, getting into the domain. Uh, so we're, we're tracking this in terms of behaviors, which is sort of a tax bread and butter. Uh, we're seeing a lot of new cloud techniques that had been uh, theorized before. Red teams had done them, but we just had found no record of adversaries doing in the wild. So getting into things like DC sync, so where they're getting into the domain controller and actually pulling out information from it, getting into things like um, SAML, where they're, they're um, getting into the trust relationships themselves. Uh, they're reporting from both uh, CrowdStrike and others where they're getting into multi-factor authentication systems. So, uh, FireEye said that they were caught by them trying to add a mobile device to their multi-factor authentication system to get into their VPN. Uh, and so there, there's a lot of stuff that we do know um, already that is is really interesting so far and, and frankly beyond a lot of what people were, were watching for based on past activity. Well, they also came in from United States data centers, correct? So that was a, a break because a lot of our security controls are at the national borders. Um, so that was a, another innovation into the into this threat or hack that had many, many different new innovations, kind of like when Stuxnet originally came onto the market and it gave us the idea of hacking PLCs. You know, so it's to me, I always look at these things from a, a large, large framework. And, you know, everybody wants to understand how this happened, you know, and even uh, back when Stuxnet first came out, I mean, America didn't even say that we, we did it. You know, we were still trying to pretend like it was somebody else. So, you know, so, so just the attribution of it is is a difficult part. And everybody seems to want to know who did what. <laughs> so so just for my own edification, guys, so Stuxnet happened years ago, right? So ten, I, year, I, 10 years. Yeah. So there's been so many hacks since then. So can you just remind me what was Stuxnet again? It was the hack of the Iran centrifuges uh, by wow. the United States and uh, Israel. Oh, that's right. So they like they, we somehow hacked it, like it spun it up and kind it of spun them. Their... It spun them really fast, then spun them down, spun them really fast, so they broke. And and at the end of the day, it didn't actually stop their nuclear program very much. But I mean, the idea got put out there, you know, to hack control systems directly on heavy machinery, which you know you can translate into the idea of hacking the United States power grid, where you can spin up a backup generator have it go out of sync with the grid, then come back in and slam on the grid and then blow breakers or destroy the generator. So, I mean, this was such a sophisticated attack, you guys, with this, I mean, the fact that it's it's in Active Directory. I mean, is there, was there a, like a specific behavior and pattern that identified it, you guys? Or is this something that as we're digging in, we're just kind of finding it as we go? I mean, Adam, is there... Are these known signatures of the attacks, like leaving traces, or is this like net new and you guys are finding out as you go? So there's a lot of things they did that are familiar adversary behaviors. 
Um, that, that said, most cases, sort of what, what these guys were doing is, is the high end of, of all of it. Okay. I, I don't want to uh, make it sound like any of the victims here were really doing anything wrong. Uh, these, these guys were sort of beyond um, expectations with a lot of how they were operating. But they were, they were using some familiar tools. They used Cobalt Strike, which is a really common platform across um, uh, ransomware as well as uh, state activity. Um, they used a number of discovery techniques and how they looked for the environment they landed on to see if they were in a sandbox, what sorts of anti-malware systems were running. Um, they were using you know, familiar uh, parts of WMI. And, and so there are potentially other opportunities in there where the supply chain attack they did themselves would, would have been very, very hard to detect, you know, to actually see what they were doing in Orion, where uh, the modifications they made were cleanly in the code. The configuration they stored was in a uh, file that looked correct for SolarWinds Orion. The protocol that it spoke looked correct for SolarWinds Orion. It looked like their customer improvement program uh, protocol. Uh, but some of the activities that they took afterwards uh, that we know about at this point do look like um, a, you know, a lot of different threat actors in the past. And that's, um, that's sort of to be expected. There are certain things that basically every threat actor is going to have to do uh, once they get on the system. They aren't necessarily easy things to detect. They may have overlap with system administrators. And so it may take some really fine-grained uh, analytics and maybe even some luck to, to actually catch the, the activities they were doing. Uh, but there are some other places to potentially watch for them. Could could they could these state actors? I'm assuming this is a, this has to be a nation state type uh, uh, activity, right? Because this is really complex. It just sounds extraordinarily sophisticated. Could there be a potential where they just whoever these people are? And I, I guess we haven't confirmed that. We have an idea, but not confirmed. Could there be like red herrings thrown where you know if I'm a particular let's say I'll just say I'm United States. I just want to make it look like someone else did it. Is there that potential that we could be barking up the wrong tree and accusing the wrong nation state doing this? Or is it pretty looking firm who did this to us? So the companies that have been reporting on this, um, that who are you know familiar with working with threat groups often do attribution to various countries and various threat groups have been very careful not to attribute this activity. Okay. Uh, so um, uh, Mandian is using uh, UNC 2452. Um, CrowdStrike and others are all using names that, uh, CrowdStrike's using a name that doesn't even indicate a specific country. Um, and so people are being very careful not, uh, outside of the, the press, um, not right. to call uh, a specific attribution. So it, it is, um, I, I think a lot of people are, are waiting for more information, lo looking for solid ties. You know, Kaspersky did a report yesterday that shows that there are some similarities between um, particular FSB-related malware that's been out there before, but there, there's, there's absolutely no smoking gun yet. And okay. in any of these cases, it can be a red herring. We've seen things like Olympic Destroyer where some of the initial hints were that, you know, it might've been North Korea, but, you know, subsequent information uh, showed that it was, was almost certainly not. Well, it's to me, it's if they're going to go through the sophistication of the person or country 
creating this hack, you know, if they can have the sophistication that they've shown with the technical details of this attack so far, you can also do the false flag type of an operation and then pin it on somebody else because it would actually be to your benefit to do so. You know, so that's why it's kind of funny that, you know, the, the press is running around saying, oh, it's the FSB, it's Russia, it's, you know, because there's some Russian parts of it. But if you have the expertise to pull off the rest of this hack, you have the expertise to put, you know, sophisticated, you know, kind of little honeypots in there to, to, to make the attribution process look like it's someone else. Because, I mean, that's that's something that's always done with these because that's what makes them so difficult to attribute. And, and whether or not the attribution matters, it definitely depends on on who you are as a as a defender. Okay. I mean, even if uh, it doesn't really matter what country this was, this was a sp- still a fairly scary intrusion. Uh, oh yeah, the the press just usually wants a boogeyman, though. They always want the boogeyman to point a finger at, like, "Oh, that's who the bad guy is." <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Adam. Oh, no. So, I mean, it's it's potentially of interest in understanding uh, sort of traditional motivations, what what sorts of data you might need to check in on um, in, in terms of targeting. But you know, for a lot of defenders, the, the interest is more in sort of what they did. How can I find this mm-hmm. behavior if, if these same guys, whoever they are, do it again? Yeah, because there's uh, I, I mentor a lot of junior security engineers and they had a, a lot of concern because you know the the remediation steps that are so far you know being told out to people are you know on the order of you know burn down your network and rebuild it because we don't exactly know what they did we just know that they were here for a while possibly and they had full access and you know that seemed very shocking to some of these people because you know they're new to the game and they haven't seen these kind of things happen before but it's you know it depends on your security needs like what what are your you know what are your risk tolerances because most companies simply can't afford to tear down their network and rebuild it. Well, so, okay, that was just going to be my question is like, could you just simply turn off the internet and say, okay, guys, we're just going to call it a day and start all over. I mean, is that really, guys, is that really realistic? Or is it something where you take your network back to the last time, like, you know, disaster, like all the storage guys, like, is this their, is this their moment to shine so they could go back to a certain point in time or is it compromised as well? Even, you know, yeah, but they that. don't they, they don't know how long the people have been in there. So part I mean, part of the way you would do an attack like that is you would poison the backups as well. <laughs> OK, so <laughs> what is the recommendation, you guys? I feel like you can't nuke it and start over. So what is the recommendation? What what's DHS and CISA? Well, what are these people saying for these poor 18000 customers? And I'm picking on SolarWinds because that's our topic. But what, what, yeah. what are they to do then, guys? And the main guidance so far is, is turn off um, Orion. Um, if it's if it's old, make sure it gets patched. Um, I don't think there's been a ton of guidance in terms of uh, remediation yet. Uh, one one thing though to to note about this particular actor is they're very deep into the um, Active Directory infrastructure, and in some cases, uh, doing things to it that are very unlikely to be in logs. Uh, and so it, it where it may often not be reasonable to to tell people they need to rebuild their their Active Directory. This this may be the exception um, where you know this, this particular actor, um, if there are signs that they've they've gotten to that stage, um, they re- really may need to uh, get to that level of remediation. Wow, that's I can't believe 
that is not a cheap endeavor. <laughs> no, it's almost impossible, actually, especially if you have a, a very large company. Um, you know, they're pretty, they're just going to have to deal with it, or, or like they said, perhaps go out of business. Because I know, I know some of most of the, you know, if you're two or three hundred thousand person Active Directory, you know, there's easily over a million objects in there with all the computers and servers and everything like that. I mean, it's and it's a dynamic thing. So you, you can't just take a snapshot of it and then restore to it. I mean, there's it's millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions. I mean, it's so something important to note, though, is that it, it does look like there were very much different levels of victims. That it looks like the vast majority of people who were actually infected through through this supply chain attack, and we don't know if there were other initial access vectors that. Yeah, there may have been other supply chain issues. There may have been other access vectors, but at least looking at this particular vector and information that's been able to be gathered from passive DNS before, it looks like a very small percentage of victims went past sort of that initial infection and being checked out. Uh, and so for uh, you know most most people, um, sort of the need to look everywhere, um, you know, yes, need to do sort of hunting, make sure you understand exactly what happened. But it looks like most people don't have that big of a problem. Um, you know, it looks like people had just the initial stages. Well, yes, to some extent, fingers crossed. Um, but there, there's been some really good research um, out in the past week breaking down the domain generation algorithm and some of the DNS requests that the malware were doing as it went through different stages of intrusion. Um, and so there's uh, a specific bit in the DNS request that changes uh, if they're moving to the next stage of the intrusion. Uh, I've seen a lot of people online refer to it as the evil bit because uh, it, it is sort of a, a really good sign that uh, there was something else wrong. And so organizations with really good DNS logs do have some things to look at that may give them some reassurance or, or give them a wake up call that they've got more to look for. And it's, it's, it's research like that that's at least helping people understand a bit better uh, what's, what's likely to have happened to them. Wow. And that's all gonna come out in time as well, you know, because most people are, or most companies, they, it goes back to the attribution of this attack, right? And what are their motivations for it? It appears to be espionage at this point, right? So it's they're not going to spend all this effort going after a gas station or a pizza, you know, like a, a Pizza Hut or something, you know, because what does what kind of information does Pizza Hut have that they really want? I mean, outside of credit card information, I I mean that just sounds like a monetary. So what you're saying though is they're looking for data, federal government obviously was a, a point of attack, right? So um. So I guess help me understand this, you guys, because I guess I'm a little bit confused. So when we're talking about the the, the flow of this attack uh, from outside in, what about like lateral flow between like within the network itself? So are you saying uh, do we just block? Do we block and trust nothing as it goes through? I mean, how would one address that then? Because your network still has to like we still have to communicate to some degree. Do you do a zero trust on everything that goes through? Well, that's part of the guidance is my understanding is that there's a, you know, separate these network management systems. And that's kind of why it was such a brilliant move to go after Orion 
And, you know, the SolarWinds kind of product, because that is your network management platform, therefore has access to everything on the network. So as getting a jumping off point inside of a company's network, it's pretty ideal. I was, I was just pulling up our, our current um, attack matrix of techniques we've seen from various reporting uh, to verify I was correct on this. But yeah, so lateral movement for us is currently empty. Um, it's it's one of the inf information gaps in a lot of the reporting currently. Wow. We don't really know much yet about how these actors got around the network. And so hopefully that's a piece that's going to be coming out in future reporting to, to help people focus in even better on, on what they were doing specifically. And in this attack to uh, just from again, I need clarification. I'm a visual person. Are we talking about uh, like all devices, so endpoint devices, mobile devices, as well as like, you know, the data center. Uh, are we talking about everything is compromised at this point? Or is there some semblance of like maybe mobile devices aren't compromised? I don't think we have that level of reporting yet, uh, okay. frankly. We, we have some of what happened to the infrastructure and some of the trust uh, pieces of the infrastructure in order to gain the control, take over the domain and start getting into specific credentials. I don't think we, we have a good idea from any of the reporting that's out yet on on what they looked like on individual systems. The only piece of mobile I think we know so far is the um, trying to provision a mobile device on um, FireEye's uh, multi-factor authentication system. So it, 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 you know, it's something mobile related, but it's not really looking at what they may have done to victims' devices. So we really just don't know. Well, because if the, if you would go after the mobile devices, because usually that's part of your multi-factor authentication, right? You know, because it, it, it used to be an RSA token, which was, a, you know, a stupid little thing you had to keep on your keychain. And now it's an app on your phone, like everything else in the world. So, you know, that's, that's the easiest part of it. it. It could also be if they go for the control systems where you run enterprise applications on a personally owned device. That's where it gets a little even scarier because like a lot of people, you know, if you use the banking metaphor, like if you're using uh, an app on your phone to do all your banking and then someone hacks your phone, then they have access to your bank account. And you can do the same reach around kind of way to get into uh, corporate data systems. Great. Okay, guys, you're kind of making me want to cry a little Are bit. you afraid so, enough now? Are you afraid I enough? I mean, I'm like ready to toss everything, you know. I, I've get always... a flip phone. Get a flip phone. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, actually, I heard they were supposed to be bringing that back anyway. Okay, so how critical is it to monitor for intrusions and in syslog logging collection in this case? I mean, that's so much data going through. Is this something that's going to be an automated process? Like, where where are we at with that? I, I do want to point out that this is not the norm. Um, you know, since, okay. since this came out, since this was breaking in terms of you know, sort of how many victims we know, there are a lot more companies that have been hit with ransomware since then um, that are are probably suffering just just as much as anyone with this. And so it's you know it's it is important to understand that there are sort of actors at this level and be thinking about and preparing for for dealing with some of these activities. Um, there's you know, there's there's still the need to sort of go for um, a much broader set of activity than just focusing on on sort of this these peak, you know, A-level actors. Sensationalistic um, ones, yeah. Hey, I'm but not going to lie. It, it's what people know because they hear it. Mm -hmm. 
mean, so it, Rock's not all that interesting right now because there's a lot of out of this that's um, interesting. But that that activity is all still continuing to happen at the same time. People are still having to respond to that as well. Um, it's just it, it's being muffled a little bit by by how loud this is. Okay, so you mentioned well, that there's others attacks. There's sunbursts, for example, sunburst malware, right? Was that part of this uh, attack, or was this some? Or was sunburst something similar but different? Uh, Sun sunburst is is the backdoor that was used as a part of this. Oh, it was the one that was okay. So I because I hadn't read that, so I wasn't quite sure what that was. So, um, so it bypassed, and I've heard of this endpoint uh, detection and response. Are there other uh, ransomware attacks that are put, going bypassing the EDR, or is this Sunburst specific and new? Uh, so, uh, in Sunburst, uh, uh, part of the um, uh, this particular entry, I believe it's FireEye's name for the the backdoor. Okay. Um, and see, so, yeah, these these guys are taking a careful look as they land on the system at sort of what EDR products are running and and making decisions on. On what to do next based on that um, you know we we see in ransomware and sort of everywhere else uh, people doing some level of examination uh, what we'd call discovery when they're landing on a system making decisions about the security that they're finding themselves in and, and making um, determination on if if the place is worth it around there you know we, we do see very different operating pattern though usually with uh, ransomware ransomware actors know they're going to be discovered in a couple hours because the whole um, enterprise is encrypted. Mm. You know, a, a ransomware actor only has to make it a, a right up until the point in time that they're able to click encrypt uh, and not getting caught for them to be completely successful. These actors were in, and um, by by some accounts, as far back as March, uh, in in these networks, not being detected, or, or in the case of um, Solar Winds, I believe November is the uh, November twenty nineteen is the the date we have now yeah. um where you know they in order to be successful not have their other activities be caught they needed to remain uh stealthy for that that level of time so we do see some of the same basic activities in terms of not wanting to get you know caught but the uh, level that each actor was going to is is very different in terms of you know uh, is some of the um riot uh, wizard spider activity they've seen actors get into an entire enterprise get into basically every system they wanted to and have the environment encrypted an hour after entry wow uh, it's only only needing to last an hour on a network is much easier problem than lasting since november 2019. so okay i know we there's so much non-data that we have and i know i keep asking these questions and i know the answers <laughs> we don't know yet so has there been a forecast? Have you guys ascertained the potential monetary damage that this this attack is going to result in, or is it too premature? You think at this stage to ask? I I certainly don't know enough, and I, I haven't really seen anyone making much of a prediction on that yet. And I I think we're probably just not there yet. Okay. Yeah, because we still don't know the motivation behind this. It's it's assumed it's espionage, right? So how do you calculate? the cost of finding out like all the US spies or something like that, or our next newest bomber, you know, that's, that's an unknowable number, right? It's they'll, they'll put a number on it to make it look big and scary and everything like that. But it's uh, until we know what they took, and then that'll take a lot more investigation and reporting. 
Well, the numbers of victims that we're hearing from uh, folks like Microsoft and in terms of how many we know so far, there's a big gap. Yeah, so we, we know a couple of, of government organizations from um, announcements from the U.S. federal government. Uh, and we, we know a couple of specific victims uh, because they've spoken up themselves in recent weeks. And in some cases put out good reporting on, on what happened to them. Uh, but we only know um, 10% of, wow. of what is being said as, as victims. And we may never know the list of victims. Hopefully we, we eventually know some of uh, industry and uh, targeting and, and things like that to have just a better understanding of what the uh, intrusions goals were. But it is, is a lot of times we, we never know the, the full sets of victims on intrusions like this. So what are, what are the next steps, guys? Because it feels like to me, again, it's, it's not all dismal. And I understand you're telling me that the solar winds attack here is a special case. It was a very high profile attack. But what is it that you guys are seeing that maybe we need to learn from or what do we do or what did we not do to maybe mitigate maybe the next future, maybe mid-tier type attack that's similar? Well, to me, it all starts with visibility. And a lot of the companies that I've worked for, you know, they, they always seem to fight a little bit when you're asking them to invest in logging solutions, SIM solutions, you know, so where you can actually you know, parse all of your logs and get actionable data out of that, you know, because it's a very expensive thing because there's so many events happening all of the time that, you know, you have to be able to monitor that and then keep those logs for an extended period of time, right? Because like to use this hack as an, an example, right? They're, they're saying it started almost a year ago. Right. You know, most companies don't have logs that far back unless it's a regulatory requirement, you know, because it's such a storage requirement to keep all of those logs, you know, so, if, and if you don't have the logs, then that's generally the, the way you see what happens in your network. And if you can't see it, you can't do anything about it. You know, so to me, that's a fundamental, but it's, it's a difficult fundamental. And, you know, hopefully with all of this noise and, you know, hysteria around this hack that, you know, people are going to invest the money into having those types of systems, you know, so that when it does happen, you can actually respond to it better and have an idea of where it attacked in your, in your environment. One of the ways these guys get outside of a sort of normal visibility was by moving into the cloud. So this was a, a hybrid intrusion that involved both on, on-prem and um, so far we know about a bunch of Azure activity that was associated with an Azure AD and some Office 365 even. Uh, and so that's, that's a space where a lot of people are um, you know, haven't necessarily thought as much about monitoring yet. Uh, you know, th there haven't really been the intrusions there. So, so, you know, some of the motivation may not have been there yet. But this is sort of showing how effective uh, moving into the cloud can be for getting outside of visibility. So, you well, know, it's, it's, it's a very valid point. Sorry to interrupt. No. But I mean, the, the logging capabilities, you know, to make fun of Microsoft a little bit on Azure are, are limited you know, to, to put it in a nice way and to get deeper down into it because essentially it's rented infrastructure, you know, and then they keep a lot of the information for themselves to run the actual infrastructure that the cloud is built, you know, that Azure is running on. And the, the idea of sharing that information back and forth is where the lawyers get involved and it gets very muddy, very gray. And, you know, hopefully this, this you know, brings some you know, more discussions to the forefront on that because it's it's an absolute risk. If you're running on somebody else's server, you don't have hardware access to it. You can't go 
that deep. You only get the information that Azure gives you. To, to Microsoft's credit, they've shared an incredible amount of stuff about this intrusion so far. Uh, I think we've seen something like 20 blog posts now from them around wow. various things that they saw in Azure AD, things they saw around Office 365, um, getting into um, seeing a lot of this activity with Defender uh, and really just digging into the, the data they have and, and continuing to put it out where we've seen a report from them every couple days for a solid month now. Uh, and so they, you know, they, they are getting out quite a bit from their own visibility at least. But, oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just making fun of them because I've actually had discussions with them about trying to get increased logging capabilities on their platform. And yeah, no, they are doing an exceptional job on, sh on opening the kimono, let's say. I think the communication is critical right at this stage, right? In order mm -hmm. for us to be able to progress or move or know what our next steps should be. It, I hate to say we have to show that vulnerability in order to better secure ourselves or better prepare ourselves for the next the next. Well, everybody, everybody has to share the information or, you know, it's, it's going to happen again. On, on this particular intrusion, though, I mean, um, there are a, a bunch of organizations that have been leaning forward in getting material out. It's, it's often scattered among a lot of places. In our report tracking, we're um, tracking everything from SolarWinds SEC filings to various Microsoft oh, wow. blog posts to, to more traditional threat intel reports. Uh, we've got a really good um, uh, Kim Zetter had an interview from ZDNet, where, or for, excuse me, Yahoo currently, where um, she managed to get a bunch of original information from FireEye. That's how we know about the multi-factor authentication stuff that was done. And this and is so all shared on the GitHub on your on the MITRE GitHub page. That's yep. excellent. That's excellent information. Yeah, That's and so awesome. we're we're trying to. Um, you know, we, we were trying to see what we could do that would be useful without um, just sort of polluting the, the waters farther. And so we're trying to track reporting that's got um, you know, adversary behaviors in it. It's based on access to uh, intrusion data. So it's either looking at, at malware, it's from one of the incident responders themselves or looking at passive DNS uh, rather than um, meta reporting. So re reporting on other reporting or, or just advice. Uh, so trying to collect basically what's what's collectively known so far about the intrusion. And it, it's been a decent amount of work to track. There's a lot out there. Wow. I mean, on that note, I can tell we can keep talking about this, but yet at the same time, we can talk about it, but yet there's not enough to dig super deep into this. So it sounds like to me it's going to be an ongoing uh, conversation, I think, as, as more we, as we uncover more information over time. So on that note, gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for your time and helping me better understand. And I'm sure the folks listening, uh, I'm sorry with my tinfoil hat. I almost want to unplug and trust no one mm -hmm. and have zero trust and like, and just throw my phone across the room. But uh, obviously that's not practical in this day and age. That's not so, the world we live in. Not the world we live in. Adam, attack lead over at MITRE. Uh, if you guys want to learn more about MITRE.org and what they do, it's M-I-T-R-E dot O-R-G. If you'd like to learn more about Adam, you can always look him up. Adam, is there a place that you are easily found or to get a hold of you? I'm, I'm out there on Twitter, but easiest place to find me or any of my stuff is really through attack.mitre.org. Uh, A-T-T-A-C-K dot MITRE.org. Excellent. And Paul, Thank you so much for joining me. I've known Paul, you guys, almost 
let's just say a decade a long time <laughs> plus ish almost two uh so he is our cyber security consultant helping me out a little bit more to get deep dig deeper into these conversations on that note guys it sounds like we can wrap this up for another episode of ransomware battleground see ya